And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. All right, we're going to tune in to Escape, and this is a great episode. It's called Evening Primrose from September 12, 1948. It stars William Conrad. It's John Collier's fascinating adventure with a strange assortment of characters who live inside New York's department stores. And Rod Serling based a story of the Twilight Zone on this called After Hours. I think you'll really enjoy this. Here's part one now of Escape. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out from the summer heat? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are groping through the midnight dimness of a gigantic department store, and suddenly you realize that a hundred eyes are staring at you from the shadows, and a hundred hands are reaching for your throat, and your most urgent desire is to escape. Tonight, we escape to a fantastic world of night dwellers, as John Collier imagines it, in his eerie story, Evening Primrose. Sadie? <gasps> Sadie, what's the matter? It's me. Oh, you nearly scared me to death. What do you mean, coming in so quiet? Oh, I didn't mean to scare you. I thought you'd be asleep. I didn't want to wake you. Oh, Sam, I'm so glad you're home. Hey, what's the matter? Oh, it's terrible. You got to do something, Sam. What's terrible? It's this. Just look at this. What's terrible about that? Looks like an ordinary pad of paper to me. Yeah, that's just it. That's just what I thought. But it's got writing in it. Oh, it's awful. Now, wait a minute. Maybe you better tell me what this is all about. Well, today I went shopping at Bracey's department store. Yeah. I needed some writing paper, so I picked this up. It was on top of the pile. So I bought it, and I brought it home. But tonight, when I opened it, I, I found it's got writing in it. Well, that's nothing so terrible. Just take it back tomorrow and make him give you a new one. No, you don't understand. It's what's written in it that's so terrible. What do you mean, what's written in it? Here, you got to read it. Ah, oh, Sadie, No, I... right now, now read it. Look, Sadie, I'm tired. I've been bawling all please, evening. Please, I... Sam, please, just read it. But for Pete's sake... Sam. Oh, all right. October 13th. Today, I made my decision. I decided to say goodbye to the world. To get out, leave, break away. And I have done it. Ah, Sadie, this... Go on, read. And now I am free. Really free. Yes, I am free at last. Yes, I am free at last. The world is an intolerable place for a poet. 
I was broke, starving at my wit's end. And then I had the brilliant idea. I'd escape to a place where I'd had no need to earn a living, where I could write to my heart's content in peace and security. And where is this place? Right under your nose, so close you'd never think of it. I am now living in Bracey's department store. I have everything within arm's reach that anyone would need or desire. And it's all free. Absolutely free. I arrived this afternoon. I'd spent three days looking over all the department stores in town. I decided on Bracey's because of the completeness of their food department. Therefore, this afternoon I entered the store and went immediately to the fourth floor, to the rug department and hid myself in this dusty, out-of-the-way corner behind a pile of carpets. Once I'm settled, I'll furnish it with the best of modern pieces from the furniture department. It's small, but it'll be cozy enough and safe. After the store closed, I made my first venture out. I tiptoed as far as the stationery counter and got this paper, the writer's primary need. Now, after making my first entry, I'll go out and get food wine and the pillows for my bed, and perhaps even a fancy dressing gown. <laughs> this is perfect. Here I'll be able to write. Dawn, October 14th. I am almost too unnerved to write this. The whole thing is unbelievable. After the store was dark and completely quiet, I crept out and started for the food department. One steps echo hollowly in an empty department store at night, and I found myself gliding along the floor on tiptoe, moving as silently as possible. But the sound of footsteps persisted, and suddenly I realized that they were not my own. The night watchman. I, I was in the Salon Moderne, so quickly I seized a mink coat from a hanger and draped it about my shoulders and stood stock still. I could have reached out and touched him, but he passed without so much as a glance. I started to smile, but the smile froze on my lips. There was someone else here. I was looking straight into a pair of eyes. Large, flat, luminous, inhuman eyes a dozen feet away. They belonged to a creature dressed as a man, but he was as pale as something found under a stone. His hands hanging motionless at his sides looked more like the fins on a fish than human hands. And then he spoke. Not bad for a beginner. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know anybody else uh, lived here. Oh, yes. We live here. It's delightful. Uh, we? Yes, all of us. Don't you see? Look around you. I looked around and saw nothing. I looked again and saw an old one come clamoring out from behind a clock... And there were three elderly ingenues, incredibly emaciated, pale as lace, almost transparent, simmering before a perfume counter. And a chintzy lady swam out from the curtains and the drapes. Then they came swarming thick around me, pale, thin, wispy, moving silently, fluttering like gauze in the wind, whispering. They were pressing around me, clawing, holding me, their pale faces contorted with venomous and human hatred. I was paralyzed. All I could do was repeat over and over again, I am not a detective. I, I, I'm not a detective. I, I'm not. A burglar, then. Who did carry into the place? 
stop. Let him speak. I, I, I am not a detective or a burglar. I'm a poet. What are you doing here? Uh, I've renounced the world. I, I came here to live where I could be alone. Away from the world. Why, then he's come over to us. Oh, he's just like us. Yeah. Oh, he must meet Mrs. Vanderpan. Oh, yes, Mrs. Vanderpan, she's coming now. I followed their eyes toward the balcony, and the hair on my neck rose again. There, coming down the wall, like an ancient spider, clamored an old lady, wrinkled and crackled and emaciated. She must have been at least 80, a shadowy matriarch. And the things around me bowed and scraped as she reached the floor and floated toward us. Oh, what's going on here? Where is that stupid girl? What's keeping her? Oh, Mrs. Vanderpan. Well, what is it? Who's this, Mr. Roscoe? Mrs. Vanderpan, may I present Mr. Uh, Mr. Huh? Oh, oh, Snell. Charles Snell. Yes, Mr. Snell. He's a poet. He has come here to live. Oh, he has, has he? That's what he says. And I believe him. Well? He avoided the night watchman quite neatly. For a beginner. Thank you. Very well. We shall see. <laughs> a poet should find inspiration here. Mr. Snell, Mrs. Vanderpant is our grand old lady. Oh? I am quite the oldest inhabitant here, Mr. Snell. Three mergers and a complete rebuilding. But they didn't get rid of me. Oh, where is Ella? Where is my broth? She's bringing it, Mrs. Vanderpant. It will come. Terrible little creature. Uh, she's our foundling, Mr. Snell. Uh, she's not quite our sort. Oh, is that so? I have been here, Mr. Snell, ever since the terrible times of the 80s. I was a young girl then, a beauty, they said. I'm sure. And poor Papa lost his money. Races meant a lot to a young girl in those days. So when I wasn't able to have a charge account, I came here to live. That's better than a charge account. I was quite alarmed when others began to come after the crash of 1907. Oh, but it was the dear judge, the uh, hello. colonel, Mrs. How do you Bilby. Do? How are you? Uh, Mrs. Bilby writes plays. Oh? And it uh, comes of an old Philadelphia family. You'll find us quite nice here, Mr. Snell. I, I, I'm sure I will. And, uh, of course, our dear young people came in 1929. Their poor papas jumped from skyscrapers. They couldn't bear to be without charge accounts either. But uh, you mean all these... Nice people live here? Oh, and many more. You shall meet them all later. Oh, here comes Ella with my broth. Uh, come here, you stupid thing. Mrs. Vanderpant is waiting, Ella. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm coming as fast as I can. Oh, here. On the table over there, Ella. Now, be careful. Don't spill it. Oh, but she's young. Well, of course, she is a little younger than most of us. She, She's different. She's... Beautiful. That's right, old fellow. She's really not our sort. Oh, you, you shouldn't say such things. She can hear you. Oh, that doesn't matter. Mrs. Bilby, please. Uh, Mr. Snell, you'll understand these things better after you've been here for a while. But uh, it seems to me Mr. That... Snell, we have certain rules here. They are necessary for our survival. 
I'm sure you won't find it hard to observe them. Well, yes, but I... I should I, advise you that you try. If you do not, it would be most unfortunate, Mr. Snell. Most unfortunate for you. October 15th. You can imagine my feelings last night. My first thought was to escape as quickly as possible. In fact, I planned to quit my hiding place and mingle with the crowds and leave Bracey's forever. But just at dawn, Mr. Roscoe brought me a cup of coffee, which must have been drugged, for I fell asleep. And when I awoke, I found that I'd slept all day, and night was closing over the store once more. Later. I have spent my second night here. I saw Ella again. Ella, the pearl of this remote, fantastic cave. She's not like the others. A, a trifle pale, but otherwise normal and human and... and beautiful. A child of perhaps 18. She is the only thing that makes this nightmare bearable. October 20th. Escape seems almost impossible. There is a very effective burglar alarm system, and the doors are all carefully guarded. But that is nothing compared to the dark men. Who are the dark men? I don't know, but the inhabitants here threaten any transgressor with these dark men. I shall try to discover who they are. I am sure I'm watched, though they've begun to trust me now. Speaking to the night watchman would be suicide. Even if he believed my fantastic story or didn't shoot me as a burglar, I'm convinced that neither Ellen or I could get out of here alive. She and the night watchman are the only real people here. And how the others hate the night watchman. Odious, vulgar creature. He reeks of the coarse sun. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. He's really a very personable young man. Very young for a night watchman. Mr. Snell, sometimes I wonder about your taste. Oh, you must not stay so much to yourself. You must become better acquainted with our ways. That's quite true, old man. Oh, you must come to the play tonight. We're going to be entertained with one of Mrs. Bilby's tragic comedies, Love in Shadowland. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I will. Oh, it's really a festive occasion, you know. Wanamaker's is coming over. Wanamakers? Yes, the entire colony over at Wanamakers is coming here en masse to attend the play. You mean there are people living in other stores? Oh, dear, yes, didn't you know? Of course, the best people live in Bracey's and Wanamakers. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby, there are some very nice people at Altman's. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Bilby. Uh, hello, Ella. Oh, good evening, Mr. Snell. Well, what is it, Ella? Oh, please, ma'am, I'd so love to see your play tonight... May I have your permission? Certainly not. You know better than that, you stupid creature. You know where you belong. In the basement, by the garbage can. But Mrs. Bilby... Hush, Mr. Snell. Ella, you're becoming entirely too forward of late. I advise you to watch your step. Remember the dark men. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Roscoe. I'll be good. I promise I will. Oh, no, please don't send for the dark man. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bilby. Excuse me. Ella. Ella, come back. Charles, you forget yourself. Let her go. But how can you treat her like that? Why do you always frighten her? And what is all this about the dark men? 
Well, Mr. Snell, I... Oh, I... please, Mr. Roscoe, not now. You'll spoil our whole evening, and I do so want Mr. Snell to enjoy my play. Very well, Mrs. Bilby. Later, Charles. But I want to know about the dark men. Later, later. October 21st. I found an opportunity to speak to Ella alone. I had not dared to speak to her before. Here one has the sense always of pale eyes secretly watching. But last night at the play, I induced a fit of hiccups. As I anticipated, I was sternly reprimanded and told to go and secret myself in the basement where the night watchman wouldn't hear me. This was exactly what I'd planned. I went to the basement. And there, in the darkness, among the garbage cans and the rats, I heard sobbing. Ella... Ella? Oh. Ella, is that you? Yes. Why are you crying? What is it, Ella? They... They wouldn't even let me see the play. Oh, is that all? Oh, Mr. Snell, I'm so unhappy. Oh, there, there. You, you mustn't cry. You're the only one. The only one who is kind. Ella, why are you here? Why do they treat you so differently? Because I'm not like them. I didn't choose to come here. You mean you were held prisoner? Yes. You see, I was only six. I came here on a shopping tour with my mother. I, I got lost and fell asleep behind a counter. It was dark when I awoke, and they found me. Some of them wanted to send for the dark men because they were afraid I would tell on them. But Mrs. Vanderpant said no. I could stay and be her maid. I've been here ever since. Since you were six? But haven't you ever tried to get away? Oh, no. I don't know anything about out there. I wouldn't know what to do. Besides, I'm afraid to take the chance. If anyone tries to get out, they send for the dark men. Ellen, who are the dark men? Don't you know? Oh, it's horrible. Tell me. You know how people live in all the stores, at Gimbel's and Bloomingdale's? And... Yes, yes, I know. Well, the dark men live at the Undertaker's. Good heavens. And whenever someone dies or breaks the rules, or when a burglar gets in and sees these people and might tell, they send for the dark men. Well, that's horrible. They put the body in the butcher shop and the food department, and then the dark men come. I saw them once... It was terrible. What do they do? They go in where the dead person is. They have wax with them and all sorts of things. And when they're gone, there's just a wax model left on the counter. Then our people put a frock on it or a bathing suit and mix it up with all the other wax models in the windows. And nobody ever knows. Ellie, you mean all these dummies are... Oh, no. At least... Not all of them. But if you displease these people, the same thing might happen to you. October 30th. I've not kept up my journal. Writing has been out of the question. Once more, I'm frozen with terror. Not for myself now, but for Ella. They hate her. Any time they might turn against her and send her to the dark men. My mind is filled with her. I dream of her every day. I live to see her at night. 
We've managed it several times. They, they trust me now and let me roam about without interference. And finally tonight, I met her again and said it. Ella, I love you. Charles. I, I love you, Ella. Let, let's get married, or whatever they do here, and then we can live together in my home in the carpet department. They, they wouldn't dare hurt you then. Charles. Oh, don't look so dismayed. If you like, we'll go away from here. Maybe we can get transferred to Bergdorf Goodman, overlooking Central Park. Don't, Charles, don't. You must. But I love you. Ella, you're not in love with someone else. But who? I, I thought you hated them all. Oh, it must be Roscoe. He's the only one that's young enough. Oh, no, Charles, not Roscoe, especially not him. Oh, I do hate them all. They make me shudder. Well, who is it, then? It's he. Who? The night watchman. No, it's impossible. Oh, I love him. He smells of the sun. Ella. Oh, it was wonderful, the way it happened. Don't tell on me, Charles, or they'll punish me. Oh, no, no. I was careless. And there he was, coming around the corner in the ladies' lingerie department. I was caught. There were only some wax models in their underthings. There was nothing else to do. I slipped off my dress and stood still. <clears throat> I see. He stopped near me. He looked at me. Oh, Charles, he spoke to me. He said, say, honey, I wish they made them like you on 8th Avenue. Oh, Charles, wasn't that a lovely thing to say? Personally, I should have said Park Avenue. Oh, Charles, don't get like these people here. It doesn't matter what avenue, Charles. It was just a lovely thing to say. But what can you do about him, Ella? He belongs to another world. Yes, to 8th Avenue. And I want to go there. Charles, are you really my friend? Oh, yes, yes, of course I am. Then I'll tell you. I'm going to stand there again in the lingerie department so he'll see me. And then? Perhaps he'll speak to me again. Oh, Ella, you're only torturing yourself. Oh, no, because this time I shall answer him. And he'll take me away. Take you away? Oh, no, 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 Ella. I, I, I couldn't bear that. You, you don't love him. You, you only think you do because you think he'll take you out of here. But, but you don't know that he will. And I will, Ella. I, I've made up my mind. No, Charles. I couldn't let you do it. Even if I loved you, you couldn't do it, Charles. Why not? Because you really belong here. You've become one of them now. Ella. Ella, you mustn't say that. It's true. And... Charles. What? I've got to go. There's someone watching us. I, I feel... Wait, Ella. Goodbye, Charles. No, Ella. Come back. Ella. Please, old fellow, you'll arouse the night watchman. Roscoe. Yes? Love can be very upsetting, can't it? You heard? Just the last moment or so. Very touching. I was rather surprised. And yet it's understandable I've been attracted to Ella myself. We're still young, you know. <laughs> and so she loves another. Too bad, old fellow. Who could it be? Could it be that I am the cause of your heartbreak? You flatter yourself too much, Roscoe. Then who? The old judge? Mm, certainly not. The colonel? Hardly. None of those. Not one of the customers? 
The staff? She loves the night watchman. Can you imagine that? She loves the night... Oh. Uh, Roscoe, I... I, I shouldn't have said that. It, it, it's not true. At least I don't think it's true. You, you wouldn't... You said you loved her, too. You, you wouldn't do anything... Tell anybody. Uh, this is a secret between us, between friends, isn't it? Of course, old man. As secret as the grave. She's young. Perhaps he'll leave and she'll forget him. In time, who knows? Perhaps she will learn to love you or me. Of course, in time. And we'll figure a way to keep her safe here. Absolutely safe. Now, don't you worry about it. Well, it's almost dawn. Time for bed. Good morning, Charles. And that's the first portion of Evening Primrose on Escape, starring William Conrad. Let's take a break, then it's more after these words. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, now let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to Evening Primrose starring William Conrad on Escape. Early evening, November the 4th. I was a fool. I should have known he couldn't be trusted. He must have gone straight to Mrs. Vanderpant. This evening, the atmosphere has changed. People flicker to and fro, smiling nervously, horribly with a sort of frightened, sadistic exultation. An informal dance in the record department's been called off. And I can't find Ella. I'm going out again now to look for her. Roscoe, what have you done with her? Quiet. Chap, the night watchman. I don't care. What have you done with her? Whatever I did, I did for your own good as well as the good of us all. Wait a minute. What is that? What are those people carrying? What? Why, it's Ella. She's tied up. They're carrying her. Ella. Ella. Stop it, Jules. Stop it. Save me. Save me. Let me go. Let me go! No, stop, stop, stop it! Arouse the night watcher. But they're taking her into the butcher shop! Ella! 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 Yes, Charles. Those are the dark men. Midnight. I'm scribbling this last entry hurriedly. They are in there in the butcher shop with Ella. The dark men. There's only one thing to do. I'm going to find the night watchman and tell him. 
he and I will save her if we can. And if we're overpowered, well, I will leave this pad on the stationery counter. Tomorrow, if I live, I, I will recover it. If I do not, whoever finds this and reads it, look in the windows. Look for three new wax dummies. Two men, one rather sensitive looking, and a girl. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and her nose turns up a little. Look for us, and then find them. Smoke them out. Exterminate them. Avengers. Find them, smoke them out, exterminate them. Avengers. Isn't that horrible? We gotta do something. Tell somebody something. Oh, Sam, what'll we do? Do? Nothing. Go to bed. Oh, but Sam. Whoever wrote this has sure got a weird sense of humor, hey? Probably some clerk down at Bracey's ought to be fired. You, you mean you think it's just a story? Are you kidding? You don't believe this stuff, do you? Why? Well, I, I don't know. I. I just thought... Yeah, forget it, baby. Snap out of it. I shouldn't leave you alone. You get too many ideas when I go bowling at night. Oh, Sam. Sam, don't you think maybe we ought to just take it back and show somebody? Nuts. It's not worth the bother. They'd laugh at you, baby. Think you were crazy or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I was silly. Forget it. Come on, let's go to bed. I'm tired. Sure, Sam. Golly, you know, for a while I was sure scared. I even forgot what I was going to tell you. What? Sam, I found the cutest dress today, only $19.95. Yeah, baby? Yeah. It was in the window at Bracey's. It was on a beautiful little wax model with blonde hair, blue eyes, and a sort of turn-up nose. And, and there were two men standing... Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight, we have brought you Evening Primrose by John Collier, adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's story were Bill Conrad as Charles and Constance Cavendish as Ella. With Harry Bartell, Lillian Bayef, Jeff Corey, Kay Miller, and Irene Tedrow. Special music by Ivan Dittmar. Next week, we escape with another great story by one of the world's outstanding authors. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape with Evening Primrose, starring William Conrad from September 12, 1948. John Collier's fascinating story that Rod Serling based a very famous Twilight Zone teleplay on. It was called After Hours. Terrific, terrific uh, Twilight Zone episode, and it's a terrific radio show, as you just heard. In that cast, Constance Cavendish, Jeff Corey, Harry Bartell, Lillian Bayef, and Irene Tedrow, with Roy Rowan announcing it was sustained over CBS. All right, Lisa, it's time for a comedy now. Let's tune in to our Miss Brooks, Eve Arden. Stars as 10th grade English teacher Connie Brooks. This is from May 8, 1949. It's called Mr. Boynton's Parents. It's heard on CBS Part 1 of Our Miss Brooks.
Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> to most people, a warm May day suggests a drive in the country or a leisurely picnic. But to Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School... It has a far different significance. Yes, indeed. To me, a warm May day means just one thing. Mr. Conklin, our beloved principal, is putting the heat on. <laughs> Some people feel that Mr. Conklin makes his teachers miserable because of his thoughtlessness. I don't agree. You can't make so many so miserable so often without giving it plenty of thought. <laughs> well, but perhaps I'm being too harsh in my judgment. A principal's life can't be all a bed of roses either. There must be many nights which he spends tossing and turning in his bed until the wee small hours, hoping, planning, thinking, saying to himself, What can I do to them this week? (laughs) Well, during the free period last Friday morning, his nocturnal efforts seemed to have borne fruit. He started an impromptu quiz without prizes. Miss Brooks. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yes, Mr. Conklin? Conjugate the verb strive, please. Strive? Uh, strive, strove, striven. Now, thrive. Thrive. Thrive, throve, thriven. Oh, no. (laughs) Really, Mr. Conklin, these sudden little tests are quite disconcerting. I don't... Uh, Silence, Miss Brooks. We're not finished. Yes, sir. More verbs? Five. Five. Five, foe, fiven. (laughs) Now, wait a minute, Mr. Conklin. Five isn't a verb. Uh, Thank you, Miss Brooks. I knew my visit to your room would produce some valuable bit of information. (laughs) Now, my main reason for dropping in, however, was to ask you to do me a favor, Miss Brooks. As you know, Sunday is Mother's Day. Yes, I know, Mr. Conklin. Thanks to a special savings plan I started in February, I was able to send my mother a card this morning. (laughs) But what did you want me to do for you? I'd like you to take this package home with you and keep it until Sunday morning. It's a little Mother's Day remembrance for Mrs. Conklin, and I don't want her to stumble upon it before time. Wonderful woman, Mrs. Conklin, and she's trained our daughter Harriet to be a duplicate of herself. Really? Yes. Yes, between them, they're the two biggest snoopers in the county. <laughs> that makes it unanimous. Uh, I mean, I'll be happy to keep the package for you, Mrs. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Brooks. I hope my daughter Harriet remembers Mother's Day. Lately, she's had her mind on nothing but that moronic manager of the baseball team, Walter Denton. (laughs) Uh, Walter isn't so bad, Mr. Conklin. Of course, he's not a brilliant student. Brilliant? Walter Denton is Madison's gift to subnormality. (laughs) The thing that annoys me most is the way he bounces. He never goes anywhere. He always bounces there. Hiya, Miss Brooks. I just thought I'd bounce in for a minute. <laughs> well, if it isn't the human handball. Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. If I'm interrupting anything, I'll just bounce along. No, and... Walter. Mr. Conklin was about to dribble back to his office. <laughs> that is, you were finished with me, weren't you, Mr. Conklin? Quite. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Hasta la vista, Mr. Conklin. I learned that in Spanish. It means see you later. Oh. Well... No se lo veo a usted primero. Ah, what does that mean, Miss Brooks? That means not if I see you first. <laughs> now, what can I do for you, Walter? Well, I need some advice, Miss Brooks. And as is my won't when I want advice, I've hired myself to my favorite English teacher, 
For that matter, my favorite any kind of teacher. Are you sure it's only advice you want? Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. It's about a Mother's Day gift. But a very special type of mother, Miss Brooks. That is... Well, I know it's impossible right now, but just for supposition's sake, suppose you woke up one day and found yourself a mother. I have a mother. Of course, she's miles away. (laughs) No, Miss Brooks, I didn't mean it that way. I mean, if you awoke to find that you were a mother... Now, what would your first question be? What did it weigh, Doc? (laughs) Are you sure, Miss Brooks? Are you quite certain you wouldn't say, How is my husband? Not me. I might say, Who is my husband? (laughs) No, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. My dad told me that was my mother's first concern after she knew that I was all right. You know, she thinks of us constantly and never of herself. But me, what do I do in return? I don't get out of bed when she wakes me. I leave my clothes all over the house. Sunday's Mother's Day, Miss Brooks, and I've got to make it up to her. Well, that's pretty short notice, Walter, but I have a suggestion for you. You have? Yes. Sunday morning, wait till your mother starts to make breakfast. When you're sure she's in the kitchen, close the door quietly behind her. Then? Then gather up all the clothes that you've scattered around the house. Then? Then put them in a big suitcase. Then? Then run away from home. (laughs) I'm just teasing you, Walter. There's only one way you can make your mother happy, and that's by turning over a new leaf. Well, I'll try, Miss Brooks, but meanwhile, just supposing again, uh, what kind of a present would you like if you were a mother? Oh, I wouldn't care much about presents, Walter. I'd just be happy if I had all my beloved children around me. Gee. Well, of course, my mother only has this one beloved child. Me. (laughs) But it is a lovely sentiment. However, I'd still like to figure out a little gift of some sort. Now, what would make a young mother like yourself happy? A young father like Mr. Boynton. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminds me, Walter, it's time for me to get down to his laboratory and pick him up for lunch. Oh, did he invite you for lunch today? Of course he did, about ten minutes from now. Tell me, Walter, were you able to find out what kind of a gift she'd like? I couldn't find out a thing, Harriet. But we've got to get her something. What's the good of naming Miss Brooks our mother away from mother if we can't surprise her with something she wants? Gee, I'm sorry, Harriet, but all she'd say was that she'd be happy with all her beloved children around her. She was kidding, of course. I hope. (laughs) Kidding? She wasn't kidding. She meant us. Oh. Now, let's see. We'll organize a committee to pick out a gift and give it to Miss Brooks. Great, Harriet. Then tonight will officially become Mother Away from Mother's Day night. Well, now that we're finished with lunch, Miss Brooks, I, I've got a surprise for you. Surprise? What is it, Mr. Boynton? Uh, guess. You're picking up both checks. No. <laughs> I'm picking up both checks. No. Then I give up. Uh, Miss Brooks, I want you to meet my folks. Why, Mr. Boynton, you've only known me for five years. This is so sudden. <laughs> I just found out they were coming to town myself. You see, they usually spend Mother's Day with my married brother, but Mom decided that this year it's my turn. To do what? Oh, your turn to spend Mother's Day. <laughs> That's right. You, you'll love my mother, Miss Brooks. She used to be a school teacher too, you know. As a matter of fact, she worked herself up until she was a principal. You got to get pretty worked up to be a principal. 
<laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. And you'll be crazy about my dad. Oh, what a sense of humor he's got. He's the one who told me the joke about the quiz master who called out, I've got a lady, doctor, but before he could ask her any questions, she stuck a thermometer in his mouth and took his pulse. Isn't that a scream? <laughs> Your father sounds like more fun than a barrel of nothing. <laughs> ask you a rather personal question about your folks? Oh, certainly, Miss Brooks. What is it? How long did they go around together before they were married? Nine years. I see. <laughs> folks believed in long engagements in those days, I guess. Hmm? Oh, they weren't engaged until six weeks before the wedding. Six weeks? Mm-hmm. Once Dad makes up his mind about something, he's greased lightning. <laughs> he could have used a little greasing the first eight years. <laughs> be looking forward to seeing them, Mr. Boynton. When are they arriving in town? Oh, this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'll have to check them into a hotel for the weekend. I've just got a small bachelor apartment. Yes, I know. You've told me about it. <laughs> Maybe your folks would like to drop over to my place tonight. I'm sure my landlady, Mrs. Davis, wouldn't mind my dusting the living room a little. Oh, that's just fine with me, Miss Brooks. That'll give my folks a chance to rest up from their trip and have some dinner before they, before they meet the girl about whom I've well, they've heard so much. Why, Mr. Boynton, you mean you actually wrote to your folks about me? And how, Miss Brooks? I've written them many times about how gay and youthful and exuberant you are. I am? You, I mean, you have? Darn <laughs> right. I remember in one of my most recent letters to them, I, I said you were more like a pupil than a teacher. In fact, I think that was a letter in which I described you as a great, big, overgrown kid. <laughs> Maybe I better take something. You should have seen the answer I got from Dad. He said, whatever you do, son, don't rob the cradle. Yeah, leave it to Dad. Oh, he was jesting, of course. He, he loves youngsters. Mr. Boynton, you've given me an idea. Well, what kind of an idea, Miss Brooks? If your father turns me down when I ask him for your hand, maybe he'll adopt me. <laughs> well, I hurried home right after school and put Mr. Conklin's gift to his wife on my dresser. Then I started to make myself and the house as presentable as possible before Mr. Boynton's parents came over that evening. First of all, I shampooed my hair and set it in pin curls. Then I put on an old, oversized house dress, which I'd borrowed from Mrs. Davis. This intriguing combination achieved the happy effect of making me look like a pat rack drowning in a Quonset hut. <laughs> then I went into the living room to get things in order. When I got there, Mrs. Davis had just finished vacuuming. Oh, uh, Connie, will you pull the plug out for me? My back's been bothering me lately. Oh, certainly, Mrs. Davis. There. Hey, this vacuum cleaner's pretty old, isn't it? Yes, indeed. But it's held up remarkably well. I bought it in 1932. 1932? Yes. This Hoover came in when the other one went out. <laughs> well, just so the place looks nice and neat for tonight. You know, I've never met Mr. Boynton's parents before. I know you haven't, Connie. And first impressions are so important. Mm-hmm. That's why I sent our sofa and all the chairs out to be recovered. What? Every chair in the house is at the upholsterer's, Connie. But don't worry. Stretch Snodgrass took them down for me, and he promised to bring them back by six o'clock. Stretch Snodgrass? Look, Mrs. Davis, Stretch may be a fine athlete, 
But when it comes to mentality, he's strictly a third strike. Why, he's liable to forget where he took the chairs. Oh, I don't think so, Connie. You know how absent-minded I am. And even I couldn't forget the name of this upholsterer. Why not? Because he has a very odd name. What is it? What is what? (laughs) The name. Whose name? The upholsterer. Upholsterer? Yes. Look, Mrs. Davis, the sofa and all our chairs are being recovered today. Well, they can certainly use it. (laughs) Where did you send them, Connie? Fellow with a very odd name. I never can remember it. I'm sure it'll come back to you later. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get out and back and look for our cat. Minerva? Is she missing again? Mm-hmm. She had a date this morning. A date? Yes, I heard her making it last night. <laughs> but she should be back by now. She knows how I worry about her. Well, you let me know if she comes in the front way, Connie, and I'll take a look back here. All right, Mrs. Davis. That's funny. Minerva never bothered to ring before. <laughs> how do you do, my dear? How do you do? I'm Philip's mother. Philip? Yes, Philip Boynton. I'm Mrs. Boynton. But that's impossible. You won't be here till tonight. Oh, well, I mean, come in, Mrs. Boynton. <laughs> you don't have to tell me who you are, my dear. Philip has written so much about you. He has? Yes, he says Miss Brooks wouldn't know what to do without you, Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Davis? <laughs> Mrs. Davis? Yes, Connie? That's Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Boynton. I'm Miss Brooks, such as I am. We've got company, Mrs. Davis. Oh, she came in the front way, did she? Yeah, she's right here in the living room. Well, you tell her she's a wicked cat and put her under the piano. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Davis. You're a wicked cat and get under the... Oh, no, no. Oh, you'll have to forgive me, Mrs. Boynton. I didn't expect you until after dinner. And... Oh, well, that's perfectly all right, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, I owe you an apology for not recognizing you. But it was rather dim in here. Not dim enough. <laughs> but where's Mr. Boynton? Or should I say, where are Mr. Boynton's? Or Mr. Boynton? Where's everybody? <laughs> well, they had a little trouble parking the car, and I wanted to meet you myself first anyway. Philip's written so much about you. You must see an awful lot of each other. Well, we do teach at the same school. I understand you were a teacher at one time, Mrs. Boynton. Uh, yes, indeed, for many years. Oh, it's remarkable. You still look so well-fed. Uh, you... <laughs> May we come in? Oh, it's the boys. Hello, Philip, my dear. Hello, Mom. Well, I see you two have met. Yes, indeed. We're old friends by now. Well, here she is, Dad. You slip me five, my dear. Five what? Oh, fingers. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Boynton? Well, I do pretty well for an old codger. Old codger? It caught you that time, didn't I? (laughs) And that's the first portion of Our Miss Brooks with Eve Arden as Connie Brooks from May 8th, 1949 with Mr. Boynton's parents. We'll have the conclusion on our next show. And before we go to break, Lisa, I want to remind all of our listeners about our drawing for Cat's Pride one year's supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. Want to tell everybody about it? Yes, at the end of every month, we have an exciting drawing where we would like to give away an entire year's supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter to one lucky winner. Um, and what you need to do is send a picture.
picture of you and your cat to catspridephoto at gmail.com. All we need is your name, your cat's name, your city and state. And we are so happy to do this for you as we are so sure that Cat's Pride Kitty Litter is the top kitty litter on the market and um, I know we've been advertising for the Fresh and Light Ultimate Care in the Green Jug and um, we've seen some commercials with Katherine Heigel as a spokesperson. Right and if you switch or you do buy uh, Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care, a portion of the sale goes to help cats and dogs and shelters all across the country. And this is Katherine Heigel's uh, foundation yes. called the Jason Debus Heigel Foundation. Absolutely right. So please send in a picture of you and your kitty cat and be entered into the drawing and switch to Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care. All right, let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, Lisa, on our next show, we'll have the conclusion to our Miss Brooks. Then we're going to take an eerie train ride with a mysterious traveler on a sci-fi adventure called the Big Brain, which is perfect for you. Right. Yeah, because Lisa has two big brains. Lots of big brains here. You know, she has two master's degrees, two big brains in her very bulbous head. Yes. And it's it, a very attractive But quality. you know what? It doesn't look bad on you. When yeah. you walk in, I, you look a little alien-like. Right. But it doesn't look bad on you. My hair sort I'm of covers up those big, you know, Yeah, gross. two gigantic, bulbous exactly. brain. I think it's the dimples that help. Yeah, the yeah. dimples help. It, it distracts from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, make sure you're with us on our next Hollywood 360 program.